Sometimes when I go into someone's home, I see that the person, the way that they're handling their dog, it almost seems like they're a tyrant. So they're the party pooper. The only time you call your dog is when you're calling them away from the fun. Let's change that. Let's make calling your dog the best part of their day. What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Struggle to Strength podcast, your source for real life application on how to turn your struggles into strengths in all things mind, muscle, and money. I Dick episode Antonio the man dude I once you told me that we were gonna have him on the podcast I immediately like I knew who he was leader of the pack LV I've seen his dog training videos where he like will be riding his bike and just tell his dogs to sit and they'll stop and sit and he keeps on riding his bike and it's so impressive the amount of control and the relationship that he has with his dogs I, I was so excited to talk to this guy and it didn't disappoint like he yeah he he over delivered on in all ways so yeah, he's one of those awesome. guys who will, he'll go into like, you know, he'll go work with uh one-on-one -on -one clients where the dog is just like completely out of control. And, you know, in a session, he can get them to calm down. It's like yeah. seemingly to an outsider, like mind control. It's pretty wild. Yeah. And uh, he had some really good foundational principles for dog training, whether you have a puppy or an older dog, how to correct behavioral problems, how to establish a stronger relationship with your dog. And he's, he's got a great struggle to strength story as well. I mean, mm -hmm. we, this is the foundation of our podcast, but uh, he goes into wh what actually got him to start doing this because he was trying to do a whole bunch of different things and uh, had a really cool experience that led him to the world of dog training. And now he's just excelling at a, at a phenomenal rate. And like people know who he is. He ran into David Goggins the other day, like yeah, pretty cool stuff. So uh, this was a great episode. It was a great conversation. Antonio is a solid human being. So um, to those of you who are listening, whether you do have a dog, you don't have a dog, you know someone who has a dog, or if you just want to hear a great story about someone who endured a lot of struggle and came out on the other side with a like newfound passion for life, uh, this, this one's for you. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Grab your notebooks. We'll see you inside. Antonio, first, like we were talking about, you have a great struggle to strength story. And so everybody that comes on the podcast, there's a reason that we started doing what we were doing, what we're doing now. There's a reason I'm where I'm at, where Travis is where he's at, where you're, where you're at in your life, doing what you're doing, helping the people that you're helping. And so I want to kind of take a, a step back in time and bring us really quickly to the moment that changed your life. Tell us a little bit about what happened, your story, and then how you came out of it to where you are today. Yeah. So, um, I'll, you know, I'll give you guys the full version. So I remember that day very vividly. Um, I had recently taught my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, how to ride motorcycles. And um, after, you know, some time of her riding and gaining her confidence, we decided to take our bikes out to California and ride through the canyons in Malibu. And just before the accident, you know, we stopped. It was a beautiful view. We're like taking pictures. and. Um, so we start riding and I'm feeling real good, you know, and I remember coming across, coming up to this turn that uh, looked really, really sharp. So I like, I mean, I dug into this turn and the next thing I know, my bike is just, I'm just sliding across the pavement. And um, I remember hitting the guardrail and immediately I thought I broke my ribs. So as soon as I hit the guardrail, um, I took a deep gasp of breath and, um, and I remember like exhaling and thinking like, okay, I can breathe. So maybe I didn't break my ribs. 
And the first thing I did was did like a full body check. So previously, but um, before I got into training and whatnot, like I was going to school to be a firefighter. So I was taking paramedic classes in order to qualify for the firefighter program. And um, so I had some emergency medical experience. So as I'm laying there in the ground, I kind of do a quick assessment of myself. And I realized that um, apart from being in a lot of pain on my right side, I can I can breathe. Um, uh, I have full consciousness and I can move my fingers. I can move my toes. So after that was good, I started trying to move a little bit more. And um, the next thing I know, I see, you know, my girl parking and she's in a panic and then she just hops off the bike and the bike drops. And I like hop up on one leg and I'm like, why did you drop the bike? And so that was the moment that she realized that I was okay. And um, I remember just being in a lot of pain on my side and I thought for sure that I broke something. Um, Luckily, you know, uh, everybody, like the paramedics, everyone arrived quickly and um, I was taken to the hospital and I was fine. Like I literally just had a huge bruise on my hip and I still don't know to this day how that's possible because at this, I think I hit the guardrail somewhere in like 30 miles an hour. I mean, I smashed into that thing. And, um, but luckily because I could have ended up on the other side of the cliff, but that experience for whatever reason kind of put me in this state of like depression for lack of a better word. I mean, I was just kind of down and out for a while and, um, I couldn't go to work for a little bit. And, I think just the injury, you know, not going to the gym, um, just all these things combined, like it kind of ruined the trip. You know, we were out there for a few days and we had to cut it short. And um, but for whatever reason, I became like obsessed with this idea of getting a dog and that never went away. And so for weeks I was looking on the Internet for dogs and et cetera, et cetera. And finally, I had plans to meet this guy who was a um, he was in the Air Force and him and his wife had recently got a German Shepherd puppy. And it turns out that she was allergic to the puppy. And so that's why they were rehoming her. And when I went out to meet them one night after work, it was like one o'clock in the morning, we met in this parking lot. Uh, he's standing outside with his girl and the dog. And I got there, I parked, I got out of the car. And as soon as I got out of the car, the puppy starts running up to me. And it was like, it was instant. I knew for a fact that I was taking her home, you know, and um, it's it's sort of like a cliche story as that sounds like, you know, she kind of chose me, like she ran right up to me and I knew that was it right there. And then from that point, um, I became obsessed with training. So that's also where like the whole raw food, you know, you guys follow me, you know, I feed my dogs raw. That kind of happened um, because of the fact that I wanted to give this dog the most incredible life. And I felt like feeding a real whole food, natural diet was the best way. So that's where, you know, that kind of came from. And then training just became an obsession of mine. So I started scouring the internet for videos and I started doing all these things that I was seeing that made sense to me. And I started getting compliments, uh, about my dog. Um, I was, I originally had got her, uh, also to be a service dog because my, my back was kind of jacked up from the accident. And so, I also trained her to like retrieve things for me. So she was a service dog. Um, and I ended up taking her like on an airplane. Uh, she was five months old. She was like getting compliments everywhere we went. And um, I started to really consider the fact that maybe I could do this for a living. And it wasn't until um, she was probably about six months old or so. And I was at a park, but I, which I took her to frequently. And there was a woman there who had, had this really rambunctious dog. 
dog. I used to, I like, I ground a lot. So like when I go to a park, I take my sh- uh, shoes off and I, you know, have my feet touch the ground. And um, anyway, this dog came up and like took my shoe and ran away with it. And this lady is like this middle-aged woman chasing after her young dog and she's apologizing. And I just felt immediately this desire to help her. And that was the first time that I really felt like this connection to helping people through dog training and really, really strongly considering the idea that I could do this for a living. And um, fast forward a little bit more and um, I decided to finally pull the trigger. But the real one of the things I didn't mention in that story on my Instagram was that I had actually uh, my wife and I went to Peru and we I experienced ayahuasca and Mm -hmm. ayahuasca Nice. literally like changed my life and and many other uh fronts too um a lot of like trauma from my childhood that i was healed um and you know and shown how to work through that but one of the things that i had asked ayahuasca to show me is what i should do with my life and all i saw that night in my experience was dog training i was holding a clipboard and like i kept seeing that and it would not go away it got to the point where i was like okay show me something else like I'm, I, I got it you know and um were you were so you that, thinking about that beforehand or did that just kind of come seemingly out of nowhere that vision yeah um i think so i had already had the idea of like maybe i should do this but there was a lot of things i did that, that i had that feeling towards like i used to be um like 250, 260 pounds. I was really overweight back in my early twenties and I lost like 60, 70 pounds. Um, I used to be a smoker and I quit smoking back then. And that's why I gained a lot of weight. And then I went to the gym. So I thought about being a personal trainer. Um, the first time I ever got into a motorcycle accident, I had a faulty bike, but had some issues with it and uh, it got jacked up. And then I ended up fixing the bike by myself um, through, I had the manual to, you know, work through it and whatnot. So I was like, I, maybe I could be a personal trainer. Maybe I could be a motorcycle mechanic. You know, I could do all these things. And then I got a dog and I was like, Oh, maybe I could be a dog trainer. So when I went into this experience, I was like, look, I don't know what I should do with my life. I just know that I'm meant to do more and please show me what I should do. And I went into that really like just asking for that knowledge, you know, or that, um, just just some something you know and uh that was the one vision that just would not stop and so that's when i kind of knew and then it took me about a year to muster up i guess the courage really to go to school because i didn't know where to start you know and then i ended up going to school i went to school graduated at the top of my class and then as soon as i came home this was in 2016 um and then as soon as i came home i started my business and once I started my business, I started to work uh, with rescues. The first thing I did was reach out to a handful of rescues and ask them to, if I could please work with their most troubled uh, behavior issues with dogs that weren't getting adopted or were getting returned. And so that led me to get more knowledge and more experience working with dogs hands-on in my home and really getting an understanding of like how dogs operate, you know, because it's one thing to go to a shelter and work with a dog it's it's different than bringing them into your home and seeing how they interact with other dogs and other people and getting a really full picture of like what this dog is who they are and what they're going through and so and then from there i mean i just um i think everything was really just developing courage to take the next step and grow a little bit more and become more confident in my craft and what i do Mm -hmm. 
Dude, I love that. I, I love that. I think so. Awesome. I mean, it's the whole purpose of this podcast. So many of our greatest strengths come from our greatest struggles and like to be going through something like that. That's a life changing experience. Like, yeah. you know, like you said, it completely rattles your entire routine, your entire life. It makes you question what you should be doing. You have all this time to yourself to think and not enough time to do because you can't yes. do anything. And it's, it's crippling. And I think a lot of people crumble under that pressure and it does send us into, you know, depressive episodes. It messes with our mental state, but at the same time, it gives us a great opportunity to step back and assess and ask the question, what is this situation trying to teach me? Like, what is this happening for me for? Like, what is the purpose yeah. that this is happening? And I love that you also combine this with a psychedelic experience because I do think that there's great power in that. In, in helping guide us towards the answers that we need. And even more importantly, ask the questions that, um, that we need to be asked that we might not know yeah. to ask. Um, but, but now you've established yourself as a strong expert in the field. Uh, I've seen videos of you that have gone viral on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and everywhere of you like riding your bike and you just randomly tell your dogs to sit and they just sit and you keep going and, they don't move. And every time I see something like that, the amount of control that you have over these animals is it's unbelievable. And I think it's something that everyone who gets a dog, everyone who gets a dog, they, they want their dog to be a well-behaved dog. No one wants to have a poorly behaved dog. No one wants to be around a poorly behaved dog. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's, it's annoying. Um, <laughs> But I think you're right. A lot of people don't know where to start. So I guess, Travis, if, do you, are you are you down to jump into like, what can we do to have better dogs and to to have better control over our dogs, yeah. better relationships with our dogs? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, let's let's dive in, man. So you now was was the the German Shepherd that you got from the uh, the the couple from the army was that your first dog uh no i had a dog when i was uh about eight years old okay so that's i think that's really like where my my you know the origin story story really starts um for me anyway i've always loved dogs when i was a kid i was like i loved dogs i remember having this thick book called the book of dogs um that i'd read through and um, I remember trying to grab uh, some dog, some random dog off the street when I was a kid and bring him in my home. <laughs> my mother was like, hell no. And, but I begged her to get a dog. And she said to me that when we got our own house, that we could get a dog. And they, my parents bought a house when I was like five years old. And I didn't get a dog till I was eight. And I tell you, I begged my mother for a dog every day, pretty much <laughs> for three years. And finally, they caved in or she caved in and let me get a dog. So that's where it really starts for me as a young kid. Which, by the way, when I had my experience with ayahuasca, one of the other things that was sort of brought to my attention through one of the um, the people that was there was a lot of times when we're looking for what we should do with ourselves and our lives, the answer can be found in our childhood, something that we really loved mm. and, and enjoyed doing innocently, right? With like no desire for monetary gain. It was just a very pure love for something. And that really stuck with me. And plus add that to my experience. And I was just like, that makes so much sense. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do, you know? And so, you know, going back, um, like I said, I got my first dog when I was about eight years old. I started training her when I was nine and to do just, you know, some simple tricks and things like that. But looking back, I'm like pretty impressed with what I was able to accomplish 
with her. And so that's where it really began for me as a kid. Mm-hmm. Where, what's like, uh, where do people start learning for themselves? Like, do you suggest, you said you went to school, for instance, yeah. is there like yeah. a school to learn how to train dogs or like, yeah, I'm um, curious about the school and also like the foundation, like what are yeah. the foundations? Yeah. yeah. What's, what's that like? And then, you know, someone who maybe doesn't want to do it professionally, although yeah, like a, another post I loved that you said, you were like, are you a dog trainer? No. Do you have a dog? Then you are a dog trainer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I guess it's be. kind of a two part question is like, you know, how does someone, you know, really dive into this like you did to do it professionally, but then also how does somebody just get like, you know, a, a like a solid foundation of information so that they can have a good relationship with their dog? Um, so for someone that wants to do it professionally, in my opinion, I think a hands-on school is the best approach, a place, uh, school that you can go to and, uh, work with dogs directly. There are online schools and, and I'm not, you know, not to, um, crap on online learning. Cause I mean, I learned how to train my dog originally by myself through videos and stuff in online stuff. So there's nothing wrong with that. I think as a professional though, it's, it's in your best interest to get your hands on as many dogs as possible. And that can be accomplished in, um, in, uh, in-person school and then continuing your own training, uh, outside of school and working with rescues. And so if you're trying to do this professionally, I would say, even if you do an online school, get your hands on dogs, work with dogs directly. Um, Cause there is, in my opinion, I learned a lot in school, but I would say the bulk of my learning and understanding came from my continued education outside of school. Um, in addition to that, I read a lot of books. Like this is my, my library right here of, of, nice. of my uh, books. And all of those are pretty much dog training books. Um, I take a lot of uh, insight from, you know, the books that I read, I may not agree with everything that's in those books, but I take what I do, what resonates with me and I apply that. And I also um, give my clients options when it comes to training. It's not just like a one size fits all. It's like, Hey, you know, we could go this route. We could go this route. We could try this first and then use that as an option later on, et cetera. So as you're doing this professionally, I think it's really important to get a very wide range of understanding and then you can kind of fine tune that and apply that as you see fit as a professional if you're doing this as a you know just a person that wants to have a well-behaved dog and you want to learn more i think it's a great option to check out you know trainers online following trainers and getting again it's kind of like yeah, understanding that dogs are a lot like people and children in a sense that they all have their own personality. There's a lot of environmental factors that go into a dog's behavior. There's a lot of genetic factors that go into a dog's behavior. And so when you understand your dog more, you're able to apply what you learn more effectively because there is really no one size fits all. And that's something that I really tell you know everyone, if you follow me, if you're a client of mine, there isn't a one size fits all approach for dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like Josh's, um, Josh's program, like his, uh, you know, his fitness program is very personalized because, you know, you can go online and buy the like $10 a month, like programming or whatever, and do your workouts. But it's like, that doesn't, that's not cut, you know, everybody, everybody is different. And like every dog is different too. Yeah, absolutely. I, okay. So where, if people are looking to, have a better relationship with their dog. What, in your opinion, are the most important foundations to focus on? Like the most important foundational principles upon which you base your relationship with your dog off? 
Um, the first thing I would say is find what motivates your dog and use that to the fullest. So most dogs are going to be food motivated. And I always tell people, you know, and I ask them like, where, where do you feed your dog? How do you feed them? Oh, I feed them over there and I put their food in a bowl. Okay. Let's take that food. Let's put it in a bag and we can have, a, and we can make the training a fun experience for your dog. And not just, not just a fun experience, but I look at it like you're building a relationship and that's what it is. You know, understanding that your life with your dog is a relationship with your dog, just as it is with any person in your home. And if you want your dog to listen to you, yes, we want, we want that, you know, respect. We want our dogs to listen to us, but we also want it to be enjoyable. In my opinion, I'm not really into this, um, sort of bullying approach when it comes to a relationship with dogs. My dogs listen to me because I've made it fun for them. And I've also created rules and boundaries with their understanding of how they should be and what they should do when I ask them to do it. So the first thing I would say is find what motivates your dog. Maybe that's food, maybe that's play, maybe that's you interacting with them. Now, if your dog's not super food motivated or motivated, motivated by play, one of the things that we can do is restrict them from having too many freedoms. So as an example, if a perfect example would be a client says to me, I take, I bring my dog to the park and they won't listen to me when they're playing with other dogs. Okay. So let's bring them to the park, keep them on a leash and restrict them from engaging with other dogs, do some training sessions with them near the other dogs. So you can develop the habit of them listening to you around other dogs. And then you can start to apply that as they respond better to you. So sometimes if you think about it, like, like a child who has all this freedom, they have all the games, they have all this and all that. And then you're trying to get them to pay attention to you or do something. And they're like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm going to play my video game. Okay. Well, what if we take the games away? What if we take all these things away, all these distractions away, and then focus on what it is that we want that child to learn or to do. And in some cases, this is the approach, the best approach for developing that type of relationship with your dog, because they just have way too many things that are, that they would rather do than listen to you. Right. And so, and sometimes when I go into someone's home, I see that the person, the way that they're handling their dog, it almost seems like they're a tyrant. So they're the party pooper. They're the ones, the only time you call your dog is when you're calling them away from the fun, right? Let's change that. Let's make calling your dog the best part of their day. You know what I mean? And in order to do that, you have to take some of those things away that your dog views as fun or engaging so that we can now make you more fun and engaging. So that's one, one thing hands down from a foundational perspective is try to engage more with your dog, be more fun, be their best friend. And then we can start to apply rules and boundaries as well. So like eliminate distractions and then really double down on what motivates them to make them respect you in a, like, in like a fun way almost. It's like, yeah, you know, down the line, maybe it's like, maybe, Hey, when I say this, you have to do it. But like, they're not thinking that they're thinking like they want, like they want to do it because you've developed a mutual respect based off of what their motivation is, whether that's food or playing or whatever. Yeah. And on the other end, like I'll give you an example. Not that long ago, I had a client who we were, their dog was pulling a lot on walks and uh, you know, I asked him like, Hey, does he, he, the dog was food motivated in the house outside the house. He could care less about food. Hmm. Okay. No problem. So we go out there. I have the dog on a leash and I start drilling 
uh, U-turns and stop sits. So basically the dog is trying to pull the sniff and go ahead. Every time the dog goes ahead, I turn around, the dog feels leash pressure. He turns around, comes with me and I'm drilling this, right? So basically it's like, and I can imagine the dog's mind. He's like, what the hell are we doing? Like, I want to go that way. And this guy keeps going the other direction Mm -hmm. and I would put him in a sit. So in this case, I'm using a lot of pressure. So one could argue the dog doesn't want to do what you're doing, Antonio. And I would agree with you. He did not want to do what I was wanting him to do, but I made him do it anyway, not in an aggressive sense, but like, this is what we're doing. So after about five minutes or so of drilling these uh, U-turns and stop sits and whatnot, I offered him food and he started taking food. And the client looks at me and he's like, did he just take that from you? And I said, he did. And he's like, how? And I said, well, and I've seen this with other dogs. And I said, well, it's my opinion based on my experience that once we eliminate those options for the dog, because he's so used to pulling and sniffing, and that's what his walks were to him, pulling, sniffing, going where he wanted, doing what he wanted. And now that we've eliminated that option, he's just like, all right, I'll take what you have because there is no other option. And then we were able to use food a little bit more as a motivator and encourage the dog like this is actually beneficial for you. And then after, you know, five or 10 minutes of a nice structured walk, we let the dog go out and sniff a little bit and have what he wanted. And so it's a mutual, it's a relationship, you know, it's not like, oh, your dog should never do this and never do that. It's like, no, he can. But first, just like children, oh, you want to go play with your friends? Did you do your homework? No. Well, go do your homework and then we can, you can play with your friends. Did you clean your room? No. Well, then you can't play your video game yet. Right. So it's a relationship, you know, it's, it's a give and take thing. And that's how I feel. That's how I like to apply it with dogs. It's, it's interesting as, as you're relating dogs to kids and Travis, I think you said something that sparked this, uh, this concept for me is, you know, the idea that as, as, as human children, we hear the word no so many times. Like it's the most common word that we hear in most of our lives as, as human children. And then when you think about it, it's like, if you're training your dog and every time you communicate with your dog or interact with your dog, it's a, it's a no, you're like, no, don't do that. No, don't. Well, all you're doing is you're telling your dog what not to do. Of course, it's not going to enjoy that. How can we get it? your communication, your relationship to be based off of fun things that your dog can be doing and distracting yes. it from the things that it shouldn't be doing so that it does focus on what we want it to focus on. It seems like common sense. I think what what most people struggle with is probably the application of actually yeah. figuring out how to do that. So yeah. is it is it is it kind of like shifting no to yes, but or yes, if kind of? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. I was, like there, there are some things that are no, but a lot of things you're saying no to it's, yeah, you can do that if this yeah. first, kind of. And, and I would, I would totally agree with that. And, and also, um, I think that we definitely say no way too many times to our dogs. It's constantly no, no, no. Yeah. And especially I see that a lot with puppies and, and I think that's a, a really bad way to handle a puppy is to constantly tell them no to everything. Um, Especially with their name too, I bet, right? If you're like, you're like the dog's name and then no, it's just associating its name with no. Yeah. I mean, they hear no so many times. And I tell my clients, like, here's a good example, right? You have a new puppy, you bring them outside, you're trying to take them on a walk and you want your puppy to walk with you. Your puppy's a puppy. So they see a freaking piece of uh, (laughs) leaf blowing in the wind and they're chasing after it. People are like, no, no, no. And I, and I tell my clients, I'm like, relax, 
let's 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 just do this. How about we allow the puppy to reach the end of the leash and pull and pull and pull. And then as soon as they give up on that idea and they turn around and look at you, you're like, yeah, that's a good boy. Come here. And you got a little piece of food for them or you got a, their toy or you just have a playful attitude about you and your puppy runs over you and plays with you. Then the next leaf that blows by, you see it, you anticipate it, you, you anchor down on the leash, you let the puppy pull, pull, pull for a couple seconds. Then they give up, they turn around and there you are happy, happy again. And now we're starting to teach the puppy, and you can do this with an older dog too, that their attempts to engage with these uh, environmental objects are pointless because it's not going to happen without ever having to tell them no. And I'm not saying that this is the one way you should always handle every dog, but I'm saying as an example with puppies, this is a really great way to handle them because they're going to try. And your job is to show them that it's pointless and you are the main event and you are the thing that is the most interesting. And rather than constantly pulling on the leash and yanking them and telling them no, which is going to create a lot of stress and it's going to really make walks unenjoyable for both you and the puppy. So that's a good example of, you know, allowing them to go through it and then being there on the other end to tell them, yes, as an older dog, yeah, I think it's important. Like, for example, if you have a dog that's really excited when they see other dogs and they pull and they're lunging and they want to go play, make that dog sit, give them a cup, give them some time right? Be, be patient, anticipate and be proactive and go, I know this is probably going to take me like three to five minutes, or maybe longer, but you make your dog sit, you go through the motions of them throwing their tantrum when they're calm and they've given up on the idea of going and playing with those dogs. You unbuckle that leash. Okay. You're free. Go play. And every time you come across another dog that they want to play with, that's what you do. So it's do this for me first, sit down, be calm, be quiet. And that is how you get what you want. Just like a kid, I want, I want, I want, excuse me. Uh, it's please, and you have to say it nicely, right? That's what we tell kids. We ask them to do something for us first before we give them what they want. And so I like to take that same approach when it comes to dogs. Yeah, I'm so it's interesting because like what I'm kind of hearing to just be, you know, I don't know, to be kind of ruthless about it, I guess, is like, if you're going to own a dog, you have to be an adult, not a puppy yourself. Because like, basically yeah. what's happening is like the puppy pulls, you're annoyed, get over here. Like that's your, you're kind of stuck in a puppy loop of like instant gratification. You don't know how to get what you want either. And that's, yeah. you know what I mean? And so I feel like that's probably the biggest mind shift. And one of the things that always fascinates me, because like, my, that's my natural inclination too. It's like, this thing's annoying and I want it to stop. I don't really know how to make it, uh, you know, how to make it stop. But yeah. obviously a lot of that probably comes with just like systems and education, but a lot of it, I definitely like a, a trait that I see is just like, you know, very strong confidence and patience. Do you think that's something that you learned over time or always been like that? Uh, I definitely learned it. Yeah. And I even, I think I struggle at times with what you said, where, you know, especially as a professional, I feel like I, there's this expectation uh, on, on me at all times, where if I come into someone's house and they have a problem, you know, it's just kind of like, all right, you're the guy, fix it, yeah. fix it, fix it, you know? And I have to remind myself, and I was actually, I felt like this last night with a client, there was like four dogs in the house, there's four adults. They're like all looking at me, telling me what's going on. These dogs are kind of crazy. And I'm just like, and I remember sitting there last night, like, taking a deep breath. Like you're good. Focus on what exactly the problem is and not all these other little pieces of information that aren't necessarily important. Um, so I deal with that personally and professionally 
all the time where I feel like I have to, I have to make this stop, but I have to remind myself that there's a process and, and I always have to remind myself of that. Um, and it's important. And I think as a dog owner, um, you have to also always remind yourself of that because we're humans, you know what I mean? Of course we want things, of course we want the dog to stop barking right now, but you know, is it, in, is it, is it a good idea to just uh, resort right away to punishment? Maybe in some cases that is a good option in other cases, maybe not, you know? And so, but yeah, I think it's important for people to actually have the mindset first to be able to go into working with their dog rather than just saying, I want this problem solved right now and stop today. Yeah. That's just, it's nothing works that way. You know what I mean? It's like, that's the same person who goes, I, I'm going on a vacation next week and I need to lose 30 pounds. It's like, you're, it's not really healthy. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. And it, and I, I feel like it's kind of like being in a situation where it's like, you got to be ready. Like if you're going for a walk, it's like this one thing might turn into a 10 minute or a 20 minute thing. Like it, yes. that's kind of, you have to be prepared for that, I guess. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Is there a way to like train a dog? You know, because I think a lot of people, they also are just super busy. Like maybe they're working 80 hours a week with three part-time jobs or something. And, you know, um, so it's, it's hard for them. Like, like, it seems like it takes a lot of time. Like, does it take, is it like very time consuming to do do it properly? uh, Yeah, it is very time consuming. Um, It's time consuming because dogs, number one is dogs do need a lot of attention. And I don't think people really realize that when they get a dog, which is why I, limit like i'll never have more than two of my own dogs personally at least i don't intend to at least right now in my life just because of my schedule and i i feel bad as it is sometimes even having my two dogs i have another dog that i'm working with from a rescue right now and so it it is very time consuming um especially if you're working you know most people have jobs and have lives and have children and and i think that people don't realize how much attention and time a dog actually needs to live a fulfilled life, you know? So, but the good news is, is that in terms of training, it's much better for the dog and for people, I think, to train in short increments. You know, people think that when you train, like when I come, if I come to your house and work with you, I'll be there for about, for an hour. But that doesn't mean that when I leave that you need to train your dog for an hour straight every day. If you can do five to 10 minute increments of training that's way more and that's that's better than nothing number one and that's actually more effective than doing a complete one hour session of training straight for the dog because just like kids you know if you learn in little increments and you make it fun they'll it actually stick with them much longer and way more effectively than if you just drill them for like an hour straight Mm -hmm. they'll be more excited to do it too and it kind of gets rid of that all or nothing mindset just because you can't do an hour doesn't mean you can't do five minutes and like every small step is going to make a big impact down the line it doesn't take a lot to make an improvement so absolutely that's, a, that's an important note right there i think yeah and i'm sure you don't say josh i'm sure you probably uh would say the same thing to like clients that are yeah, looking absolutely at all the time it's like dude why why would you go to the gym for an hour you're brand new at this like do yeah. 15 minutes do 10 minutes yeah. Do that twice a day. That's better than nothing. And you'll be making progress every single time. Exactly. Um, yeah. Another thing you said that has always stuck out to me is uh, for a dog to live a fulfilled life, you just said. Um, and I think I've per- like, this is just my personal observation. Like I've seen a lot of people who like, I th- I feel like they think training a dog is like mean kind of. 
Um, mm. And where they're like, well, we want him to like be a dog and, you know, run around and do, do whatever. And they, the idea of like maybe crate training, I don't know if that's something you do or like just different, different kind of like boundaries, they feel bad enforcing them in a way. Yeah. Um, and I've definitely heard from, you know, a number of, of places that it's like, it's kind of the opposite of that. Like a dog that just kind of like runs amok and do, does whatever is probably experiencing more anxiety than a dog that has like a purpose, rules, a job. Like, how do you feel about that? I agree with that hundred percent. I think it's important for, for I, number one, I agree with there. There are people that, you know, look at those things as bad or they feel guilty. And I can understand that because yeah, who, who doesn't want to live in this world where everybody can just be free and run around and yeah, but that's just not the reality. And that's not the world we live in. We, when dogs don't have structure and rules and boundaries, they will 100% have more stress and more anxiety because they don't know what to expect and or they're the ones it it seems to them that everything falls on them and they're responsible for handling all these different things imagine now we have to remember that dogs have the mentality of like a two or three-year-old kid permanently right so the capacity to emotionally they're stuck at like a two-year-old and imagine having a three-year-old be responsible for all of the things that an adult is responsible for and feel that they're responsible for these things. How much stress is that kid going to feel when they know that they can't look as a two or three-year-old kid, they can't look to their own parents for direction and guidance. They're the ones that have to figure it out. That's stressful. And that's how I feel like dogs, uh, that's what they take on when their owners aren't giving them guidance and direction. And in terms of crate training, I think that what I always tell my clients who are opposed to it or reluctant about it, I say, look, Number one, I always I always bring up safety because if you have a dog that has a tendency to uh, be destructive or chew items or things like that, we have to consider the dog's safety. Dogs tend to eat things that they shouldn't because they're dogs. So would you rather come home to a dog that is in a crate and maybe a little bit, you know, not happy about it, would rather be out running around? Or would you rather come home with a dog that ate the pillow and is now laying dead on your floor because he suffocated? You know what I mean? Or would you would you would you want to come home to see that your dog hasn't pooped for five days because they have an intestinal blockage and now you got to bring them to the vet that it costs you five thousand dollars to operate on? And so I hate to be so dramatic, but that's the reality of what a lot of people face when they're not crate training their dogs. In addition to that, in my experience, when I help people crate train their dogs, they usually report back to me that their dog is now going into the kennel on their own. And they seem much happier and much more comfortable having a place that they can uh, be and, and essentially like have their own little space. Mm-hmm. And people often forget that dogs are actually den animals. They prefer to have these quiet little uh, places where they can relax. My dog, Logan, he goes underneath our bed. We have a platform bed and he goes under there. If, you, if Logan is not in that anywhere to be seen in the house, he's under the bed. Why? Because it's kind of like his own little den and that's where he, he loves to be. So knowing that I think helps people um, take action a little bit uh, better and be more consistent with their rules and boundaries at home. Yeah. I think that's super helpful. And, and I, I completely agree. You know, having all my dogs have always been crate trained. They love the crate uh, and it's comfy. You make it a little bit, a little home for them. And 
Yeah, um, and make it fun during the training process. Yeah, exactly. And that's really what this all has come down to. And I think the the main the found the main foundation we've talked about today is like make this fun, make it a fun relationship, make it an engaging and meaningful and rewarding relationship. Um, and that's what we base the foundation of our training off of. And we establish really healthy communication relationships with our dogs. They're going to be great dogs. Um, yeah. so th th this has been awesome, man. Unfortunately, I, I wish we had more time. Uh, I feel oh, like there's a million things we could talk about when it comes to dog training, but I'm really <laughs> grateful to have been able to, to have had this conversation with you, Antonio, you're a, a wealth of knowledge when it comes to training. And of course you have your own great struggle to strength story. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing it with us, man. This has been great. I appreciate you guys having me. It's been a pleasure and I could talk about dogs all day. And uh, <laughs> thank, thank you guys for having me on. It really means a lot to me. Of course, man. I know I'm like, obviously I follow you. I know our, our, our uh, listeners are going to want to learn more about you. People are definitely going to want to learn more about uh, how to better care for and train their dogs. So give yourself the plug, man. What do you got going on? Where can people find you? Um, yeah. Tell us what's up. On all platforms, uh, leader at leader of the pack LV LVs for Las Vegas, uh, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. And um, I also got uh, some online training courses coming out. I got my pack leadership seminar that's been turned into a course that should be out in mid-November. And then I'm working on a basic obedience course. And then uh, after that, a puppy course. So I'm getting into the online training world. So anybody that uh, is either in another state, another country, or unable to work with me in person, I'll be having really, really valuable and um, educational content coming out real soon. So yeah, that's super exciting, man. Yeah. So those of you listening, take notes. So even dog coaching is going online now and uh, you'll be able yeah. to have access to Antonio and his expertise. And I know, uh, you know, next next puppy that we get, I will definitely be reaching out to you because I, I, oh, I please, man. Yeah. strongly admire the way that you train your dogs and just your your total approach on outlook on life. This has been awesome. So uh, thank again, you, thank man. you, man. Thank you, Antonio, yeah. for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you to everybody who's tuned in to another episode of the Struggle to Strength podcast. We will see you all next week.